we know better, he's still working and reaching and drawing you. He, he cares and loves you enough just as the first time you laid eyes on that person that you spent the rest of your life with. He loves you still that much today and more. He's still reaching for you, and I, I, I love him. I'm so thankful for him today. I'm excited for everybody that's here. I'm excited to welcome all of our guests. If we have anybody that's this is their first time, thank you so much for taking time uh, out of your your afternoon to finally warm up a little bit. I was talking to a few of our young adults. And I'm pretty sure a couple of them still got left over frostbite from working outside. Uh, my goodness, that's difficult. I don't know who all worked outside on Friday, but God bless you. That was It's been cold, and so this 40-degree weather and sun shining looks and feels pretty great. Uh, we have Brother Steve Sims to thank for that. Thanks for bringing the warm weather back with you. He admitted that earlier, so thank you. Everyone give Brother Steve a high five on the way out the door. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here today. Obviously, love and appreciate our pastor and our leadership. Bishop, I think, is on some kind of cruise, and I, I think Pastor and uh, Sister Spoon are ministering down in Florida uh, today, actually, if they haven't already, so keep them in your prayers. I'm going to go to the book of, uh, actually, two verses, Isaiah 53 and 6 and Genesis 13. So while you're turning there, um, I want to admit that my intention and, and mission this afternoon is just to be as relatable and clear as possible. Uh, I hate to reference my uh, young adult class so much, but they know my teaching style. I want to repeat something so many times to where you actually almost interrupt me and say, okay, we get it, can you move on? No one's done that yet, I don't think, but um, I should know if I'm there. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, 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 I want to be clear today. I want to be relatable. I want to make sure that we can connect in such a way that we leave here um, not just changed, but we have a game plan. We have a mission. The whole point of a service, the whole point of a sermon is to get, in fact, a response. Not necessarily someone shouting or screaming because you're preaching so great. Uh, that sometimes happens. But it's this altar, and it's the decisions that you make when you walk out the door. The newfound resolve, the new passion. That's why this is so vital. Because when you go through a week of muck and, and difficulty and, and frostbite in your fingers and cold weather, you just need a Sunday with the saints and the people of God and a good altar experience to get back up with enough strength and zeal and passion to do it all over again. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm desperate for Sunday service. I need it. Does anybody else need it? Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, all. Everybody say all. all. We like sheep have gone astray. Everybody say astray. astray. We having turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In reference to Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 13 Verse 1, and it says this, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been. Everybody say had been. At the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar. Everybody say altar. Which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name 
of the Lord. Um, I, I want to preach this title, When You Go Astray, Run Back to the Altar. Run back to the altar. Uh, before you're seated, if you could please reach across the aisle. Make sure you get out of your aisle and just say, give someone a high five. Give somebody uh, a handshake. Make sure you leave your seat. Tell them how awesome they are. Tell them you're going sledding today. Thank Brother Steve for the warm weather. Make sure you tell Brother Steve you're thankful for the warm weather. You may be seated. Jesus' name. When you go astray, you see, the Bible indicates in Isaiah 53, 6, that all, that everybody has that in common. We all have gone astray. We've all gone by the wayside a little bit. One of the greatest obstacles to becoming a committed Christian is when the individual realizes that Christianity is actually challenging. It's not exactly easy. The task of living a fully God-centered life is no walk in the park. That's why Paul clearly and multiple times in different books to different churches and different times describes it as a battle, a fight, a war. He tells you to take armor and you're not taking armor if you're going to pick daisies, not normally. Why? Why is it so challenging? Well, it really boils down to the fact that it demands change. Christ himself demands change of the toughest kind. It often means turning from the things that come easiest, the things that satisfy our natural urges and desires, things that are easy, things that don't have much resistance, things that cause us to be able to kind of coast by. I want you to couple that with just the fact that life itself contains a good number of up and down. How many can say amen? Ups and downs. Always something going wrong. There's always just, there's always something that just breaks down. There's always something that just, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. I, I remember, forgive me for the personal story, but uh, when, when uh, Sister Becca got in a car accident at 36 weeks pregnant with our son, uh, all the airbags go off, the car's totaled. I fly up there from a dead sleep. I get in the car to rush her down to the, to the hospital because the ambulance that witnessed the crash didn't feel it was necessary that she make it down there. I uh, probably had a lawsuit on my hands, I don't know, but anyway, we, uh, we got in the car and we jumped down there on the highway until I blew two tires on the way to rush her to the hospital. That's life. Spare's good for one tire, but two, you're really not getting very far. That's life. We also, I remember uh, before, actually, we started dating. I liked her a lot, and so anytime she put an event together at IBC, at, at school, hanging out, uh, I would want to be there. And so I remember she got a bunch of people. She's not in here. I can tell this story. But she got a bunch of people together to go to a, to a baseball game. And uh, we're, I'm all excited. I throw on the sweatshirt, jump down there, and, and me and my buddy, one of my good friends, uh, Brother Stacy, we're driving by the ballpark. It's about 15 minutes to first pitch, and we look, and the stadium's empty. He looks at me, and he says, Spoons, there. There ain't no ball game in there today. Come to find out the event was, was canceled without any of us knowing. And that started a string of cancellations that my wife, every time she plans something, we show up in the parking lot only to see a close sign on the door. I won't tell you how many weekend trips we had planned. They just weren't open. Life. As we were 
as the, uh, the, the needs today for prayer service, I was particularly touched by uh, some of the needs that I heard with stomach cancer and, and my poor grandma uh, uh, battling and falls. and That's life. Life happens. You have good moments and you have bad moments. You have times of up and you have times of down. Now, maybe you're the type of person that can keep everything, no matter what's going on, no matter how many pop tires you have, no matter what the job's doing, uh, you, no matter what it is, you could be going through the worst time of your life and not a single person would notice, you wouldn't say a peep. I don't know, I'm going to make you raise your hand. If I, I feel like we might have some people like that. I don't know, I, I wish I was like that, keeping everything internally. Maybe you're an introvert and you just don't like sharing your business. Maybe, maybe your spouse is the only person to know. If you're not married, nobody knows. But you, you, you keep everything to yourself. There might be a time where it seems like everything's falling apart. Doesn't matter. You still put on the proper face. You remain undetectable by everybody, and you keep rocking and rolling one foot in front of the other. You know how to do it. You never miss a beat. You're not late for work. You don't miss a single ball game or performance for the kids after school. Prayer service, you're here every time, no matter what, 630. No Sundays off. You're praised for your discipline. You're champion for consistency. And you're the person that people come up to and ask that fateful question, how do you do it? How, how, how do you do it? How do you remain so consistent? How do you remain so disciplined? How, how you're going through, I know you're going through something. Maybe, maybe some people know and, and you're going through some challenges, but, but how do you keep showing up? How do you, you're always where you need to be. The T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. But all the while, you can't help but know the truth about how you really feel, and that is you feel like you're just kind of off. You don't know how to describe it. When someone asks you how you're doing, you say good because you really can't describe how you are. You can't say, I'm off today. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm going to try that. How you doing today, Brother Alex? I'm off today. But really, it's astray. You're kind of gone astray. Before I lose anybody... The definition of astray is simply off the right path. How many have ever felt like you're off the right path? Even when all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and you are showing up and you are here and you are, consistency, you are consistent and you're, you're disciplined and you're, you're moving forward with one foot in front of the other because you know how to march to the beat of that drum, but yet you just come and you can't help but feel and admit to yourself, I'm just kind of off, I'm kind of astray. I'm not on the right path. Luke 15 does wonders to talk about people that have gone astray. The entire chapter is dedicated to those who have gone off the beaten path. They've gone astray. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we find the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus begins to talk about 99 sheep, and if one goes away, you've you got to go find the one. Uh, we're fairly familiar with that story. And, and then in uh, Luke 15, 8 through 10, a few verses later, he, he begins to talk about the lost coin. And he says, if a woman has 10 pieces of silver, uh, does she not sweep the house uh, diligently to, to find that one piece of silver? And then to end the chapter, verse 11 through 32, we find the story of the prodigal son one that we're no doubt are more familiar with. When we read this parable, uh, we naturally like to focus on what appears to be the main character, and that is the young, younger son, uh, the younger brother, the prodigal himself. We see, if you don't know that story, let me give you a quick synopsis. We see how that younger son dishonors and hurts his father. He takes his inheritance and he wastes it all on useless and fading pleasures. 
He betrays seemingly his family and effectively wishes his father gone. He just says, I just want what's mine. I I don't want to wait for it. I don't want to tarry. I don't want to abide. I I want what's mine. I want what I know I have coming to me, and I want to go. I want to take it. And uh, I'm sure there's been some times in our life we can can relate to that, going our own way, doing our own thing. But we finally come to a point in the story where he comes to himself in the bottom of a pig pen, and he decides finally to come back home to his father's house. And he's there welcomed with loving and outstretched arms, just like God has done to many of us. How he's worked and he's sought after our heart, our attention, our desires, our mind. It's a fan favorite. I'm sure everyone in here knows the story, and I'm sure all the young people probably, all the children downstairs, that are, are they're... Uh, uh, shout out to Brother Eric and uh, Sister Clown. That's awesome what they're doing down there. The kids are all down there. But I remember the prodigal son story. No doubt all of us, regardless of our past, we like to find a way to fit our own life as a parallel to the prodigal son. Now, I don't know anybody in here that got the revelation of Jesus' name baptism in a pig pen, but, you know, you, you might have been in a different, maybe been on your workplace I'm sure nobody was, you know, eating slop out of the trough, Brother Matt, and said, I think I, you know, there's only one God, and his name is Jesus. Uh, but I no doubt believe that the Lord probably did speak to a lot of us when we were at our worst place. When we were at most undesirable. When most people have given up on us. I connect with that final song. Because even when no one else would see the evidence of it, when no one else would feel the evidence of it or perceive that anything is happening or being done on our behalf, there is, in fact, a God that does love you and is working. I I challenge you to venture back to that place. Just take about 10 seconds and just remember that moment when you made that choice to commit your life to Christ. What was your life situation? What was your circumstance? Where were you at? I'm sure you were not your best. I'm sure you were probably at your lowest point. In fact, I know people in here personally that have told me their testimony. It is fascinating to see where God really brought them from. It's a good story. But if we're being honest, let's, let's just be real. A lot of us can't relate to the pig pen. And even if we can, it's not literally a pig pen. It's probably something else. I believe that's why Jesus added another character to that story. In the other two parables that we find in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, there's only one main character. But in this one, we have multiple characters. And the parable starts in verse 11 with this. A man had two sons. We focus a lot of our attention on the younger brother. The one who wasted all of his living, the one who made foolish decisions, and the one who clearly gone astray. But I wanted to submit today in our time together that there is another son and another main character that we need to break down and look at. Because though he never left the father's house, he too had gone astray. The older brother in the story, he stays home. And he worked for the dad while the younger brother was off doing his thing. The older brother resolved that he would work all day, every day, earning, everybody say earning, His keep, instead of demanding it like his younger brother. No doubt he begins to toil and he he begins to work. And uh, and his brother goes off and uh, he leaves him. And I want to paint this picture for you in your mind. I want to add some some color to the blank pages in between the lines of our Bible. He's working and he's toiling. 
all the day long. No doubt he probably had a little bit more responsibility when his brother decided to take off and just leave his chores to him. And he begins to work and he begins to labor. And that might not have been a bad idea, except the Bible begins to in, uh, Bible indicates down in the end of chapter 15 of Luke that the brother lost uh, gradually, eventually begins to lose sight of why he was in fact working for his father. He loses sight of why he was home with his father. As a matter of fact, he worked so much, the Bible says in verse 29, that the only thing that he could pride himself on when his father confronts him, he says, I have worked and I've done all that I was told. There's a lot of business people in here that would love a worker like that. Amen? Show up to work, do what you're told. Show up to work and do what you're told. This seems amiable. This, this, this seems like a good thing. And, but all the while, we know as the readers, at the end of the story, that even though he was at the house, he was in fact also going astray. I'm sure he began to wonder about his brother at times. He's out laboring in the field in the heat of the day, especially the geogra- geographical region that they were, uh, they, were, they were living at that time and where Jesus was ministering this parable. It's a hot place to be, and he's working and toiling. I am sure without a doubt there came a point in time where he looks over at the empty wheelbarrow or at the, uh, the, the rake that his brother used to carry and wonder, I wonder how he's doing. I, I wonder what he spent all that money on. I, I seen the bag of money that my father gave him for an inheritance, and I, I seen how much. It was pretty big. There was, there was a lot. There was, there was a good amount of money there, and I know, Brother Josh, I know a new bowl that I could buy with that kind of money. I, I would love the new Hoyt. Lord, have mercy. Can't afford it, but... Uh, uh, I would love that. Hoyt's a bow for all of you that don't know. It's a, I'm a bow hunter. I love bow hunting. Brother Josh, you and I are the only ones. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder how many friends he's made. I've never seen that much money. He's young. He has no, he has no curfew. He has no one to tell him what to do. He has no rules. He, he doesn't have to worry about uh, any limits, no limitations, no, uh, n- nothing going on, no boundaries set. He's just got a bag full of money. He gets to do whatever he wants. And, and we'd be foolish to think that that older brother one day wouldn't begin to wonder, man, I, I wonder what's going on. I wonder, I wonder if that's worth doing. I wonder if I should go to my father and ask for my inheritance because surely he would give me mine and, and that much more for how much work that I've, I've done for him. And I've, I've stayed faithful all this time. I want to make sure we get this, that he became lost, just as lost as his younger brother, even though he stayed in the house. He never went to the pig pen. He never did all those things. He never demanded that his money be given to him immediately. But yet, as time goes on, eventually and gradually, we see his heart begin to blacken. We see him begin to change and and the motives at which caused him to work and and, and toil so faithfully and so consistently. Uh, a, A lot like the elder son. How often do we get so caught up in what we're doing? Be it the things of the kingdom or for ourselves that, that we forget to do a heart check or a soul check and, and look up and just do a quick temperature gauge of how close or far we still are from the Father's house. So caught up in life that we forget why are we even doing all this? Sure, we know that life's nothing without Jesus, but yet we lose sight of it that while we're commuting to our 9 to 5 or even fulfilling our church duties. We're crossing those I's and dotting those T's. But meanwhile, all, all the while, we just can't help but feel if someone got down to the bare, the bare rock of how we feel, we would say, I'm off. I'm, I'm astray. 
You might see me out here working. You might see me being faithful. You might see consistency on the outside, but on the inside, I'm astray. I'm just as far as the pig pen. I'm just as far away as a thousand miles, as far as the east is from the west. I, I might abide in the Father's house. I might show up on time, and I might be at my post, and I might be on time for dinner every night and lay my head. I'm under the protection of the Father's house, but yet I'm astray. On the outside, you would never know it looking at the elder brother. Again, I know we know the end of the story, but I want you to hear. He appeared to have a remarkable faithfulness and a spirit of obedience about him. In verse 29 of Luke 15, the Bible is pretty clear about it. He says this, I have worked and I have not transgressed thy commandments. These are good things. These are all wonderful things that we should strive for. And all the time, he's in the Father's house. He endured seasons of hard work. But yet the toil and the work and the faithfulness, it began to turn only to duty instead of being done out of love and a passion for why he always did what he did. He gets so twisted and he gets so jaded that even when his lost younger brother finally does come home, it should be a beautiful moment of embrace of mercy and grace and excitement. But instead, we read that only the Father was there waiting to greet him. I find that interesting that if he was truly striving to please his Father, he should have been there standing with his dad, waiting, hoping, and praying for the day that his little brother came home. If he in fact had the same heart of his father and was working faithfully for him, and his heart was still on track, then he would have been waiting there with him. As soon as word got, uh, got there that I see somebody afar off, he would have dropped his pick, and he, he would have dropped his rake, and he would have ran, and he would have embraced his brother just like his father did. But instead, the picture we find is more sad and pitiful. As news of his brother returns to, to him, we find no joy we find no happiness. We don't find him asking about the condition of his brother. We don't even find him talking to his father directly. But instead, he goes to a servant and says, what's going on? And when he finally confronts his father, he can only complain that his faithfulness isn't recognized and that his hard work hasn't been rewarded. That's all he can think about. He has become lost and astray in the Father's house. I want you to understand that. If, if, you were a, if, you, if there was betting odds in Vegas about this, who would end up better at the end of the story? If you, if, you, if you looked at the beginning, one takes all the money and goes off and ends in a pig pen, and the one person staying here working and not doing anything wrong, you would assume that the older brother would have all things working for him, and he would turn out perfect. But that's not how we find the story. And in fact, it's the lack of the ending that bothers me the most about this parable that Jesus tells us here. Because remember who he's in company with. He's talking to his disciples and those that are following him at that time. And the story ends with his father questioning him. We never find repenting. We never find changing. We never even find him have one single word or, or one interaction with his, with his younger brother when he does make it home. The Bible just simply ends the story with this. He was wroth. He was angry. And that was it. Now maybe you're here today. Let's relate this. Let's bring this back home. Maybe you can't help but feel 
I've kind of gone astray. Remember, the definition is just simply not on the right path. I can say amen to that. I've been, I've been a whole lot of Sundays in a row, but not on the right path. A whole lot of, man, you're doing great. How is it working for you? And all I want to say is I don't have a clue. You just say God's grace because that is the truth. But all the while, you can't help but admit to yourself and, and put your head down on your pillow at night and wondering, man, what, where am I at right now? I'm talking to everybody in this room. I feel like I'm walking somebody's log right now. You can be as faithful and as consistent as the day is long, and you can work, and you can even proclaim that I, I have not transgressed a single word of you, Father, but yet I am astray in your house. You're not in the pig pen. You're not out farting around in all the worldly things. You're not wasting your money. You're not skipping out. You're not, you're not, you're not just jumping out on duties. You're not, not showing up for prayer. You're, you're, you're at all of those things, but yet still you find yourself just not lining up. You find yourself like the elder brother, astray. But when you go astray, I want to preach, that's when you got to run back to the altar. That is a pivotal moment in your life. And this altar right here is not just something. It's not just a, a routine. It's, 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 just, it's not just a step up. It's not just a, a, just a symbol in and of itself. But, but, the, but the Bible has, has, is full of examples and stories of his people going astray. But yet when they get to that point, like we find our main character today in this story, in Genesis chapter 13, Abram. He goes astray. He gets mixed up in all the wrong things. There's a famine in the land, and he finds himself in Egypt. God told him to remain in Canaan. That's the promised land. That's where, the, that's where uh, there's going to be blessing, and that's where the promise is at. But yet Abraham, in his doubt and in his unbelief and his struggles, he, 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 he resides to, to Egypt. And then he begins to lie about his wife, and, and Pharaoh and his house begins to get cursed because uh, they attempt to take Abraham, uh, Abram's wife um, for, for his own, and, and, and they curse him, and they say, get out of here. And that's where we pick up Abraham in verse 3. He went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he made there at the first. And Abram called on the name of the Lord. An altar. Why an altar? Why does it matter? Because, you see, it's at this altar. Maybe not this particular one. I can remember there was an altar at More Life Tabernacle. I remember where I was. I feel like I was in the pig pen. I was showing up, but I was in the pig pen. I felt I was both. I was younger and older brother at the same time. And I could take you right back to that spot in a nasty, horrible relationship. Forgive me for the personal reference. I, I, I remember getting a phone call, a possibility of a, of a horrible situation gone wrong. And, and in the moment, I, I agreed to an abortion at that time on, over the phone. And it was that next Sunday where a preacher stood up and said, you better make a choice. Come down to this altar. And I made my way down to that altar at More Life Tabernacle just off the right-hand side on the second step. And I said, I don't care what it takes. It wasn't my first encounter at an altar. 
I had the Holy Ghost to preach sermons and, 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 and been a part of leadership and, and been a part of ministries and, 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 and all the other fun stuff, but yet here I was astray. You've got to run back to the altar and you've got to recommit your life to Christ and you've got to get back to a place where you once said, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care. I remember that next day. I told my basketball coach, I'm not playing basketball anymore. I'm quitting. It was the day before tryouts. And I I called up that girl. Thank God his mercy was was wonderful. And that situation didn't play out. But I told her, I'm sorry, but we're going two completely different paths. There is something I've got to do, and it's live for Jesus. I didn't care what that moment was. I didn't care what it cost me. I I didn't care what friendships I lost. All that mattered was I was astray and I had to get back to the altar because it's at the altar where things are consecrated it's at the altar where things are sacrificed and laid down it's at an altar at this front right here where you can make a decision that will forever change the trajectory of your life it's at an altar where you can come to God and, and you can seek after the, the Spirit of Christ. It's at an altar where you can be forgiven. Now, granted, you can be forgiven anywhere, absolutely. But I want to point out our character. He had made some mistakes, and he had began to turn away from Egypt, but he still, the Lord told him, get back to the altar where you first called on my name, where you first, at the beginning, the Bible says, began to trust me, began to rely on me, began to depend upon me. So if you're going astray today, you got one you got one hope. It's get back to the altar. Get back to the altar. Get back to that place where you said, I don't care what it takes, come hell or high water, I will be yours, Jesus. Maybe you were a young person when you made that decision. Maybe you were, you were in your youth when you made the choice to live for God, but yet you sit here today under the sound of my voice and you can't help but relate to some points or maybe all of them and say, I'm astray. I'm here to preach to you today that your choice has to be to get back to an altar. Get back to a place of sacrifice, back to a place of consecration, back to a place where things die and you don't leave the same. It's not just it's not just geography and it's not just what we do at the end of service. There is a reason why we invite people to come down to an altar because there's power when someone makes that step, makes that journey as Abram did at that time. It was far away from Egypt, but he said, I've got to get back to that altar. He could have made an altar anywhere he was. He, he could have stayed right there in Egypt or just gone on the outskirts and, and made another altar. It makes no difference, right? But no, no, no. God said, you get back to that first altar that you built me at Bethel. That time where you first committed your heart to me that time when you first said God I am yours and nothing else I don't care what it takes that first time that first passion that first altar I'm not asking anyone to make an altar in their seat today but I'm asking someone to go back to that altar that you had at the first at the very beginning the Bible indicates in Revelation what exactly this looks like. It almost seems that John is drawing, he's almost seeing a a rewrite of the parable that he hears Jesus in Luke 15. He sees these visions in Revelation and, and he sees this church that's getting rebuked. 
a church that we know uh, we preach often about. And he begins to speak to them. Jesus is speaking in verse 2 of Revelation chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. See, the, what the older brother didn't realize is that his father's seen everything. He, he knew he was working. He's seen how hard he was laboring. He's seen and recognized his faithfulness. As Jesus is telling this church here, I see your work. I see how hard and consistent you're fighting and you're laboring. Verse 3, has, and has borne, has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thy, you've left thy first love. You're still doing all the things. You're still doing all the all the works, you're still laboring. You still have the patience. You haven't fainted yet. These are all good things. These are all, these are all commendable things. These are all godly things, things that you need to strive for, things that we would love to be complimented about. But yet, but yet all of a sudden I see an un, uh, a scary contrast here between the elder brother and what this church uh, at Corinth was doing here in Revelation. We, we see him here forgetting their first love. They had forgot that altar experience, that passion, that zeal. They were still doing the right stuff. But they had the elder brother syndrome. They were doing it, but they were, they were astray. Their heart wasn't right. They had grown cold and weary. And at, at some point in time, you may, you may not recognize it, but you're on, you're on a tip of an iceberg. And, and, and then all of a sudden, just the, the slightest of breezes, when you get to this point where, where you, have, you have forgotten that first love and you have, you have so been, you, uh, your heart's been so darkened and jaded from difficulties and struggles of life and, and you get astray and yet something happens and then you can seemingly fall off a cliff. And then this, the onlookers wonder and ask, what happened? What happened? They were doing so good. They were astray. They were in the Father's house, sure. But they were astray. Their heart had wandered. But in verse 5, we have the answer to the problem. He says this, remember. Remember, therefore, whence thou art fallen. He's telling that church in Revelation, remember where you started. Remember that passion and that love and that I didn't care what, anything, what it took. I'll, I'll storm hell with a water pistol. Remember that I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what passion or habit I have to give up. I don't care what sports activity. I don't care what girlfriend. You, you remember that? He's telling that church, remember, you've got to go back to that altar. And you've got to remember that person, that old man that died on that altar, that old woman that died on that altar. And you said, no more my will. You said, no more my way. You said, no more, not, but, not what I want to do, but it's what God wants to do. Not my plan, but your plan. Not my will, but thy will. He says, remember, you've, you've got to get back to that place. That's the only way that you want to resurrect that first love. I'm telling somebody, you've got to. To run back to the altar. And the second step, he says, repent. And three, he says, do the first works. Remember, repent, and get back to doing what you used to do. No, 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 not just the, 
not just all the toil and the work and the showing up and clocking it. No, no, no. Get back to that, that this is my life. This is who I am. This is not just something that I do. A Christian is not something that I do. It's not a place that I go. It is who I am. I am Christ. Nothing more. Nobody else's. There can be no competition. There can be no room left for reason to doubt. I am the Lord's and none other is beside him in my life. That's what he wants. And the only way that happens at the first is we came to an altar. And we said, Lord, I am yours. God, will you forgive me? God, will you help me? God, will you minister to me? God, will you take this wandering heart, this heart that's astray, and mend it once again? Let's stand. I'm going to be done. I feel I've said everything that I want to say. All I have, all I can really offer is there's an altar up here. There is an opportunity today for you to come back and remember. As John spoke in Revelation, remember that place where you once were. You want to get back there. You want to get back to the place where, where you're not frustrated at things of, of the kingdom of God. You're not frustrated at people and, and at the church. You're not, you're not frustrated and so quick to, to, to be agitated. But you want to remember. Repent. Get back to that place. Humble yourself and repent before the Lord. I don't want to go astray anymore. And do the first works. Do the first works. When you go astray, run back to an altar. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you you know you're astray, you know if you're struggling. You know if man, I just don't have it like I used to. I don't I don't view church the way I used to. I don't view, I show up and I sure I'm there and sure I'm seen and, and no one would know and it's undetectable but, but you and your heart know I don't feel the same way about it. That's what I'm talking about astray. I'm talking about you going to that altar where the coals should be burning red hot and, and, and you put your, your hand by it and you realize there's not a lot of heat there and, and before long you're touching and dancing around in the coals because there's, there's no fire there. There's no passion. There's no love. It's, it's not like it used to be. You know it. you got to do it. You've got to show up. You've got to be a part of it. You need to be there. And, and you need to make sure that the discipline and faithfulness and all that's that seen. But all the while, you are still astray. And it is the most dangerous place to be. Astray in the Father's house. If you're astray out in the pig pen, it's pretty obvious you need to get back to an altar. If you're in the pig pen, it's pretty clear by the stench and by the look of things. You're not where you need to be. You can look outside of these four walls and we all know somebody that we're praying for. We're hurting for that's like, man, it's just clear. Their life is in shambles and they are not where they should be. And the potential that was, wow, how far have they fallen? They got to get back here. 
But it's a whole nother thing to be in the Father's house day in and day out, doing the duty, punching the clock, showing up, nobody knowing, and being astray. And then coming to an altar and getting right with God. Those are two completely different things. I dare say I'm looking at a, a church that is very familiar with the grace and mercy of God. Each of us in here have experienced, but yet all the while, as we have remained in the Father's house and we know the truth about our heart condition, we find it more and more difficult, Brother Matt, to accept the grace and mercy of Christ. We, we can't help but tell ourselves, oh, gosh, I messed up so many times. There's no way I can... I can't go back to that altar. Sure, when I, when I first got introduced to Jesus, it was easy to accept Him as my personal Lord and Savior, even though I was maybe out doing drugs and, and all kinds of uh, fornicating, all kinds of mess of things. Sure, it was, it was easy then to accept His grace, but, but now that you have remained in the Father's house for such a time and for a certain period, now it gets more and more difficult to make your way to an altar and pour out your heart to Him and say, God, I'm astray. I need you. I don't care if people think I'm all right. If I lose, if I completely ball my eyes out until this, these lights go off and there's no one else left, that doesn't matter. I've got to get to an altar. It doesn't matter if people think I'm good and surely what could they need? Why would they need prayer? Why would they be at this altar? They're the person I look to. They're those that we get inspiration from. Why would they come? Let me tell you, because even in the Father's house, you can still go astray and get to a point in a dangerous place I may say where you're wandering and you avoid the altar you avoid confronting those things that must be fixed and must be faced and must be dealt with but I'm here to tell you if you're astray you gotta run back to the altar you've got to get back to a place where you can at the first like you did at the beginning and pour your heart out to him like it's the first time you've repented like it's the first time you've spoken to him like it's the first time you've committed your life to Christ like it's the very first time saying hallelujah I love you Jesus I love you Jesus you've got to get your heart and mind back to that place at this altar and you've got to make sure that you're not gone astray in the father's house I invite everybody to come if you feel I'm not going to make anybody come that doesn't want to come but if you I feel this is a moment and opportunity as they sing come down to the altar get back to the altar get back to the altar